Welcome to the Freedom Fellowship Church Podcast, located in Canyon, Texas. We hope you are encouraged by this message today. We're going to continue our series this morning on No Other Name. And uh, I want to remind us of a scripture that has been used every week so far. It's out of Psalm 20, verse 7. And it says this, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Amen. Amen. And this morning, the name that we are going to talk about learning to trust in is the name Jehovah Mekadesh. And this name means the Lord who sanctifies. And so as we get into this, we've got to start with prayer. And so if you would, please pray with me this morning. Lord, we believe that you are the God who sanctifies us, who sets us apart as yours. And so we ask this morning that Jesus you would come once again and wash us, that we may look more like you. Father, would you be the head and us be the body who resembles you? We pray this in the name of Jesus. Do it, Lord. Amen. Amen. All right. Jehovah Mekadesh, this name comes from the Old Testament. And this morning, I want to start by looking at the first three books of the Bible and picking out three big points that we see from them. And so we're going to look at Genesis, and I'm just going to tell you very broadly uh, this story. So Abraham, Chris talked about it two weeks ago, but Abraham, my first point is he was giving a promise, a promise. Now, this promise included two major things. Number one, it included a land. It included what we call the promised land. Abraham was promised land. The second thing he was promised was an offspring. And Chris talked about that offspring, Isaac, that was given to Abraham. However, there was more to it. that The, the offspring of Abraham, he was going to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. And so we see the promise included land, it included an offspring. And God, he confirmed this promise to Isaac, and he confirmed it to Jacob, who later becomes Israel, and now we know them as the people of Israel. Okay, at the end of Genesis, here's what we see. At the end, we see that Jacob, Israel, he has moved his family to Egypt. There's been a famine, so he moves them there. And so when we pick up in chapter, or not chapter, in Exodus, in the second book of the Bible, what we see is the people of Israel are living in Egypt. They're not in the promised land. They're living in Egypt, which leads me to my second point. There is a rescue. There's a promise, and there is a rescue. Now, In the land of Egypt, what happens is the people of Israel, they begin to multiply and they become this large number. And so Pharaoh, he says, hey, you know what we need to do to prevent them from taking over? We need to make them slaves. And so they enslave the people of Israel at the beginning of Exodus. And we see that God wants them to be free. And so God, he sends Moses, and through the hand of Moses, he begins to rescue his people. And as he's rescuing them, he is leading them to the promised land. He is leading them to the unfolding of his promise. Now, on the way, on, in the process of them being rescued, while they are in the wilderness, we see God gives them the Ten Commandments, 
And then we see that God begins to give them the law. And we get to Leviticus, and God is giving his people the law, and he is telling them what he expects, how he expects them to live out as godly people. Now, here's the third thing that I see in the book of Leviticus. I see that there is a consecration that takes place. So there's a promise, there is a rescue, and there is a consecration. And before we get to consecration, we must understand the name Jehovah Mekadesh, the God who sanctifies. Because I believe that in order for us to choose to be consecrated, that we must first be chosen. We must first be called to God by himself, set apart as his people, sanctified by God. So here's what Leviticus 20 says, and this is where the name comes from, Leviticus 20, verse 7 through 8. It says, Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Keep my statues and do them, for I am the Lord who sanctifies you. And there's three big words that I want to point out. And the first one, as I said, is consecration. He says, consecrate yourself. Now, consecration, it means this. The definition will be up on the screen for you. But but it's this idea, as God is telling this to the people he's called, it's, it's this idea of separating oneself for a sacred purpose. Separating ourselves from particularly sin. Things that are not pleasing to God. But it also means to live a devoted life. To be devoted to something. To be devoted to God. So to consecrate yourself. That's what he's asking them to do. And in Leviticus, you got to think, at this time, there's all these other nations, all these other gods. And he's saying, don't go and serve them. Serve me. Live for me. And then he says, be holy, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But then he goes on in verse 8 to say, keep my statues and do them, for I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Now, all three of these words are very similar, sanctification, consecration, holy. There's there's, There's almost a similarity with all three of them. But that ending phrase, I am the Lord who sanctifies you, is the name Jehovah Mekadesh, I am Jehovah Mekadesh, the God who sets you apart for a sacred purpose. I am the God who does this. I am also the God who makes you free from sin. I am the God who sanctifies you. This was not your own doing. Like this was me who did this. I chose you. I sanctified you. And because I sanctified you, you can choose to live a consecrated life in return for me. That's what I believe it means that the God is the one who sanctifies, who sets us apart as his Now, I want us to look at Leviticus 11, verse 44, and this is going to continue our talk on holy. Leviticus 11, this is again in the midst of the law. It says, for I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. Before we could ever talk about us living a holy life, 
we have to grasp that the God we live for is, in fact, holy. And so this morning, I just want to talk about the holiness of God for a moment. This is something that my heart loves. I love it. It catches me every time I read about how holy he is. And as I've read books about the holiness of God and who he is, what I see is that holy means separate. It means to be set apart. And I loved how one man described it. He said, it's a cut above the rest to be holy. It is above, beyond any other being. And when we think of God, that's what we're saying. He is separate. He is like no other. He's a cut above. Now, I want to, I don't know if challenge you're thinking this morning, but maybe you've never thought about it like this before, and I hadn't, but I love this. What if when we say that God is holy, we're not just giving him another attribute like he is love, he is merciful. But what if when we said that God is holy, it meant in everything he does, he's holy. For instance, if God has a holy love, his love is far greater, separate than any other love that we could ever encounter. And when we say that God is holy, we could say that his righteousness is holy. It is separate. It is far greater of a righteousness than any other righteousness there is. And we could continue on that list that he has a holy grace and a holy mercy. Because he is a set above. He is separate than all other beings. And so everything he does is greater, is separate than anyone else. Now holy, what I would say the secondary definition, it could also mean pure. That God is pure. He is without sin. He is the spotless lamb. So he's holy. And God, he desires for his people, because he's holy, he desires for his people to be holy. He desires for us to be set apart, to be separate, to be a cut above, in a sense, not in a way of pride, but a way to resemble who he is, to resemble who our God is. That is why he has called you and me to holiness now. There's a big problem. <laughs> I am not a holy man. In fact, here's, here's what I see as a huge problem. I would, I would say that, you know, we often, I've heard it said that sanctification is a process. That becoming holy, that living for God, this is a process that's going to take a lifetime. And I think absolutely there is truth to that. Because when I first started believing in Jesus, I wish I just never sinned ever again. But did that happen for anybody in this room? If it did, like, praise God. But that didn't happen for me. Okay, I still mess up. I do. That's just the reality of what I live in. Now, here's the big problem. And I'll just speak for myself. I won't speak for anyone else in the room. I will speak for the two-year-old, though, in the nursery, because he's the same way. I am stubborn. I am stubborn. And my two-year-old son is stubborn. And here's what Deuteronomy 9, 6 says. Here's what God says. Know therefore that the Lord your God, he's not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness. For you are a stubborn people. Not you, not you, the people of Israel. But he says, you're stubborn. 
I'm not giving you this promise because you are just so good and righteous. No, no, no. That's not the reason you're inheriting this land. It's because I'm good. It's because God is holy and he has decided to sanctify a people. But stubbornness is a real problem. And here's what I notice about stubbornness. Stubbornness often has to do with selfishness. It really does. If you think about it, a stubborn man is a selfish man. My son is selfish. He is, okay? He doesn't know any better. But at dinner time, I don't know why I told this story at Desperation. He's on this kick right now because of all the parades that happen in Canyon. We get all this candy, right? And uh, he's on this kick at dinner time where he's like, I don't want anything but a sucker. I'm like, dude, what is wrong with you? You're not getting suckers for dinner. And so I'll try to like, set in front of him his favorite meal. You want some chicken nuggets? You want some strawberries? Sucker. Dude, no. And, and no, and like it just goes back and forth. And then he's like throwing a fit on the ground, like, I sucker. And then he's crying, I'm like, you are so stubborn. Dude, you love strawberries. Just eat the strawberries. <laughs> right? But that's what he does. That's what he does because he's stubborn at heart. <laughs> but how many times, how many times do we read something in the Bible? And we know it to be true. And God is telling us, do this, live this way. And we just go, no, I don't want to. Why? Because I won't speak for you, but I'm stubborn. Stubbornness can get in the way of us becoming holy people that live for God. Now, what I want us to do is I want us to kind of look forward. And I want us to remind ourselves of these three points. There's a promise. There's a rescue, and there's a consecration. There are these same three things in the New Testament. Here's what we see. Number one, there's a promise. There is a promise, and just like Abraham, we are promised a land, and we are promised an offspring. And here's what that looks like. In John 3.16, this is one that we know that, that God, he so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but would have eternal life. You do realize that your inheritance is a new heaven and a new earth. That is the land that you have been promised. Now, you have also been promised an offspring, not physical children. You're not guaranteed that. But you are promised in John 1, 12, that to all who did receive him and to all who believed in the name of Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. So there's an offspring and there's a land. This is the promise that God has for us today. Now, number two, there's a rescue. Just like in the Old Testament, there is a rescue that takes place today, and it has to do with slavery. Hear me. Not physical slaves like they were in the Old Testament. We are talking about a spiritual slavery to sin. And Jesus wants to free you. He wants to free you from the sin that so clings close to your heart. And how this happens is you believe in the name of Jesus. You believe in the promise. And when you do, you become children of God. And something takes place when you believe in the name of Jesus. And that's what we call sanctification. Sanctification takes place the moment you believe. Let's hear what Hebrews has to say about this. In Hebrews 9, 
13 through 14, it says, If the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh. He's talking about the Old Testament, the sacrificial system. If this sanctified them temporarily on the outside, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God to purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? See, the blood of Christ, the blood of Christ, it is the only thing that has made you holy. As it said in Deuteronomy, it was not your own righteousness, it was not your own doing, it was the doing of a holy God. It is His Blood that has made you righteous. And in Hebrews 10, this one's not on the screen, but in Hebrews 10, 10, it says, by, And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Now, how does this work? Here's my question, and here's the problem I run into. If sanctification, if God setting me apart, freeing me from sin once for all has taken place when I believed in the name of Jesus, how do I still struggle with sin? Why do I still struggle with sin? Why do we still act as stubborn people? And here's, here's what my belief is, is that yes, Jesus has sanctified you and his blood is enough to save you. And it is enough to wash you clean. But at the same time, just like in Leviticus, God is asking us to consecrate our lives back to him. And so here's what I see, a consecrated life to live for Jesus. Here's what this looks like for us today. And Chris, I'm going to invite you up here. You can come and play. When God has sanctified, it's now us who consecrate ourselves, but we don't consecrate ourselves on our own. Like, yes, we strive for holiness. You should strive for holiness. You should strive to live a righteous life. But we do it alongside the Holy Spirit. Like, God has given you the Holy Spirit, the set-apart spirit, to come in here and work inside of you. But Romans 12 says this, in verse 1 and 2. And before I read this, actually, let me preface something. That, that in Romans... Paul is explaining how a man is saved. And he is explaining for most of the beginning of Romans, in the middle of Romans, that man is saved by believing that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and confessing with their mouths that he is Lord. And so he's explaining that. And then you get to Romans chapter 12, and he says, I appeal to you, therefore, in sight of how a man is saved, therefore, if you've been saved, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, and that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, 
what is good and acceptable and perfect. Guys, I want to look more like Jesus. And so many times I don't. So many times the way I treat people and my family and others, it does not reflect Jesus. And I want more of him. I want more. I want to look like Jesus because I know that he is holy. And I know that when I look like him, I'm going to be better off in the long run. Do not be conformed. What it means to be conformed, he's saying, don't fit into the pattern of the world. Don't be the one who fits in at work with your friends who are, who are cursing and saying all these filthy jokes. Don't fit in. Don't fit in. Be different. Be holy. Be set apart. Be transformed. Be transformed. Be a new creation, the children that I've called you to be. And how this happens is, yes, by the power of the Holy Spirit, but he goes on to say it by the renewal of your mind. That in order for you to begin to change, you need to think differently. And yes, the Holy Spirit's going to help you, absolutely. But you need to consecrate your mind to God. You need to devote your mind to the things of God. You need to set your eyes on the blood of Jesus, the thing that sanctified you and the thing that is going to carry you onward. What I want us to do is I want us to take a time to to almost examine your life. And the question that I have is, in in what ways do you need God to continue to sanctify you? Or maybe I could word it better, sanctification is one, one time. In what ways do you need God to come again and cleanse your heart on the inside? What are the sins that still cling so close to you? And you're saying, Jesus, will you just come and wash me once again? Make me pure once again so that I will look more like you. And if you're in here and you're like, I really don't have, you know, there's no sin issue, great. None of us have arrived at the perfection of Christ yet. I want to be more and more, even if I'm doing great in my faith, I want to be more and more transformed into the image of Christ. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Check us out on social media or to learn more, you can visit freedomcanyon.com.